All right, this, this morning's message has taken a turn from what it was. I wanted to speak about the wilderness, that concept of the wilderness and, and what it looks like in the Christian life and walk. But there's one person I couldn't get around, and it's probably my favorite character, and his name is John. They called him the Baptist or the baptizer, you know. And um, so today's message, I, I really want to do a message on, on the life and the message of John the Baptist. Is you know Matthew eleven eleven Jesus says he's the greatest prophet ever born of a woman, you know. And we think about Elijah and the things that he did, calling down fire, and you know the prophets of Baal and and, and Ashtoreth, and and you think about Samuel, whose words never never ceased to work. Not 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 one word fell to the ground. It says about him, he led military conquests by his prophetic words as a young, as a young long-haired dreadlocked little priest prophet kid you know it's just these incredible people but out of the word of of God himself the greatest of all time was John the Baptist the greatest prophet ever born but Jesus did follow that with saying but those who are least in the kingdom are greater than him basically on our side of the new covenant this connection this communication we can have with the Lord there's something more for us but um but I wanted to do that and and you know many of you know especially you know me personally I've had some, uh, call it prophetic experiences concerning John the Baptist several years back um, that really caused me to start to look into his life because I always just saw him as a character that wasn't all that important, like what was kind of the big deal, you know. But I had these experiences which I completely and totally did not want to share today, right, Um, that were from the Lord that caused me to look into his life and caused his ministry and even his words, even though there's not much written about him, the words he said were so so incredibly profound. And to get that kind of stamp from Jesus is incredible too. Um, but one of the experiences I had um, was a dream, and it was it was seven years ago, and it was just it was almost a dream where I saw a Bible scene. You know, and I read the Bible a lot. It's like if you watch Star Wars a lot, you might have a Star Wars dream or something like that, right? So chalk it up to that initially in my mind, but I, I, I dreamt that I was watching as if I was there, but I was also kind of, kind of back at a distance a little bit. I was watching this man with this long, dark dreadlocks all the way down his back, standing nearly chest deep in water, surrounded by people that were coming at him. And it wasn't like, you know, the movies where you see like you know, there's a, there's a choir singing on the side of the river and one person at a time is coming, getting baptized, and then they step off. You know what I mean? The typical thing. It looked so chaotic that from a distance, I didn't really know what was happening. It almost looked like there was a fight or something happening. It looked kind of frenzy-ish. Not in a, not in a demonic or evil way, but it was just like a crowd. Like, what's going on? And as I came close in this dream, I saw this long dreadlock guy dunking people under the water. And it almost seemed random, and it almost seemed violent. I shouldn't say violent. It almost seemed aggressive. Like, boom, boom. Like, he was so passionate and zealous about what he was doing that it wasn't, oh, you know, buried with him in baptism, brother. You know, it wasn't what we think. You know what I mean? It was just like, what is happening here? And I remember when I first saw him, I thought he was this guy named Sonny that, uh, from this band that I grew up loving who had cut his dreadlocks off. So I was like, oh, I thought he cut his dreadlocks off. But when I got close, it's like these long black dreadlocks. And I'm like, who is this guy? And then I woke up from it. And so, and it was a Middle Eastern scene, you know, it, it was, a, it was a, one of those strange deals. And so I woke up as a student of the Bible and as a minister and, and, as, and as a Christian thinking like, wow, like, 
It's almost like you had a dream about Noah's Ark or something. You know, I saw these animals two by two walking into this boat or whatever. It's just like, wow, that was just kind of like a scene. I don't know if it was the real scene, but it's just like I had a dream about it, like I was thinking about it or something. And, and so I felt like, okay, so God's wanting me to... I was like, yeah, he, he was the first guy. He said he was, he was a big deal. He said, behold the lamb, you know. But I ne- he never did anything really all that impressive to me, if I can be honest. He did, you don't see him healing people or multiplying things like some of the prophets of old. He just kind of showed up. And... Um, he dressed really strange. And so I, I had this dream, but I knew the Lord was, 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 was telling me to, communicating this to me. And so, you know, this happened seven years ago. And the reason I know that is because, you know, I planned on doing the message of the wilderness. Then I changed it. I was like, well, I'm going to speak about the life and the message of John the Baptist because it kind of fits. And I feel like it's the word of the Lord today. But then this morning when I woke up, I went back to my to a note that I had written seven years ago and I didn't realize it but I opened up my phone and I and I went back to when I had that dream about John baptizing those people or that dreadlock guy looked like Sonny baptizing those people I wrote a note about it I wrote a big it's not published or anything like that but I, I put it out on Facebook so let me just say that I I put it out on Facebook and published a note and so this morning I went and I I had a notification to look at my you have a you have a what do they call it, a memory or whatever. And I don't, I'm not very frequent on it, and so I don't have those, you know, I don't have a lot of memories. So I looked at it, and it was the morning that I woke up from that dream, and I published, and I posted, published, no, hey, I had this strange dream last night, which I wouldn't even do today, to be honest. You know, I, I just wrote it out. This is the dream I had. It was weird, and, you know, and I woke up today. I was like, wow, this is exactly seven years ago to this morning that I had that, and this is what I was planning on speaking on. And so, but I was going to leave out the, the spiritual, these weird things. Because there's another one. Right around that time that I had had that dream, and I, and I was like, wow, that's, that was random. Maybe I, maybe I read John 1 or Mark 1 that morning. I had another one around that same period of time where I literally woke up in my bed. I, was, I remember I was laying face down in my bed, and I woke up to the sound of a man's voice in my bedroom, which instantly sounds sketchy to anybody. That's normal. You know, grab your gun or your knife or bat or something. What are you doing in here? You know what I mean? I, I, I hear the sound of a man's voice, and I wake up, and I turn to him, but I felt a sense of peace, and it's this large-looking man, and he's actually talking about the life of John the Baptist, a character that I didn't really care about, standing in my room. And um, I, I, I looked at him, and then he looked down at me as if he was surprised that I was looking at him. But I was like, you're in my room, is what I'm thinking. So I was surprised. He was surprised. He looks down at me. And when he did, I said, keep going. Because he was talking about John the Baptist, and it was things that I had never heard. I was like, keep going, man. And he looked at me, and he says, no, you're going back to sleep. And I said, no, I'm not. And as I said, no, I'm not, I was so heavy with sleep that I tried to fight it. And like, I'm not going back to sleep, man. Just boom, and I passed back out. I know this is strange. That's why I didn't want to say this this morning. <laughs> so I passed back out, and I woke up the next morning. You know, the sun was up, and, and I thought, man, that's strange. But one thing I realized that there was something very important about the life and the message of John the Baptist that I obviously overlooked because I, I saw it as such a basic part of Christianity and of the Bible that it didn't really... He just happened to be the... His, Jesus' cousin pointed him out. You know, what's the big deal about that, Right. 
But the big deal is that he's the greatest prophet of all time, and he was an incredible character when you actually see his life and what he did. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. And um, so there's your intro. I think I grabbed everybody by the attention there, but um, you know, it's, it's not a typical Sunday morning for most folks, but it's okay. Listen, um, because we're going to be in Mark 1 and maybe a little bit of John 1, and I just want to talk to you guys today. I want to do a Bible study where we do what I did after having these, okay, this, these are some dramatic experiences. You know, you have, sometimes you have those type of dreams where you wake up and something's going on in your room, and then you re-wake up and you realize you were dreaming. You know, it's like, well, it could have been something like that, but it's like, the guy told me to go, forced me to go back to sleep, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was awake. But anyhow, um, I just knew that, okay, God doesn't do these type of things if he's not trying to speak or communicate something as important that I've overlooked. So I started looking at the life and the message of John the Baptist, this, this wilderness message, if you will, that announced and proclaimed the reality of Jesus stepping onto the scene. And it's so incredibly beautiful. We have this mosaic of the Old Testament that is all these prophets proclaiming what the New Testament, the New Covenant, I should say, was going to be. And nobody fully knew what it was. But we have all these like Jeremiah 31, like I'm going to put my law in your hearts and in your minds, like you're going to be my people. Nobody will have to say, know the Lord, because everybody will know him. Jeremiah, you know, like 31, 33, we have like Isaiah 59 that says, I will put my words in your mouth and in the mouth of your descendants from this time forever. We have all these obscure prophecies from these incredible prophets, Ezekiel 36, 26, like it's like, or 26, 36, which one is it? Give me a second. But it says that I, I will put my, you know, I will take from you the heart of stone and I will put a heart of flesh on the inside of you. Yeah, 3620. There we go. That's what I need. Right on. It's 3620. But it's like we have all these prophecies from all these random prophets coming through the Old Testament that are talking about this redemption that's going to happen, but also this this indwelling of this spiritual connection that we will have to God, that we won't have to go to a priest. We won't have to go to a prophet to hear God's voice. There's something coven coming, this new covenant, this Christianity as we know now, where the veil would be torn. They didn't understand what that was going to happen, where we're going to have connection to God, and it was going to be brilliant. And John was the greatest one. But the, the, the scripture that you hear, like even if we just start off in Mark chapter 1, and all of them do this, it says, Mark 1.1 1, 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, and it quotes one of those other obscure prophecies that no one really probably understood. It says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Malachi, Malachi however you want to say that. Malachi is the right way. But um, the voice of the one in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. And it's like you have these obscure, obscure prophecies coming forth, but then you have one that's completely and totally attributed to John, but he attributed it to himself. And I wanted to read that real quick. So maybe this will also be for us as Christians, a very, an intro. Maybe this will be a new members class. We don't have members, but let's just pretend we're doing an intro to Christianity because it's funny how many Christians don't know these things. So Isaiah 40 verse 2 says, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she's received double 
from the Lord's hand for, double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so here's this prophecy that marked this prophet's life. He was the fulfillment of it, right? And it's also a prophecy that's like, your iniquity is going to be completely and totally pardoned. It's talking about shutting the religious system down. You know, It's talking about people being completely forgiven and free from sin for all time. Like this new covenant. And it goes on to say, if you have a King James, it says in the wilderness, and then it says prepare. But the way it's really written, like ESV or just in its original text, is like the voice of one who is crying out. Then it says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the wide open space where it looks and appears to be nothing, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway. It's like, that's the middle of nowhere. It's like, yeah. And that's exactly where Jesus used to tell, take everybody all the time and feed them and stuff. There's something about the reality of this kingdom walk. See, the wilderness in the ancient Near East, you know, it was a treacherous place. It was a scary place. It was the place of haunts. It was the place of the unknown, you know. It was the place on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right? That, you know, when they would come on the holiest day of the year, the high priest would put his hands and place, symbolically place the sins of all mankind over what they called the scapegoat, right? And he would send it out into the wilderness to Azazel, it says in your Bible, which Azazel is one of the names of the fallen demonic entities that actually led the rebellion of Genesis 6. You know, you guys know this stuff. You're a scholar, you know, you're here. But, but it's like the wilderness was the place where the bad guys lived. It was sketchy, it was treacherous, but there was something about the kingdom in the wilderness. Like, when, when Israel was broke out of Egypt, God led them through the wilderness. El Shaddai actually means God of the wilderness. That's kind of new, but that's the real translation of that word. You know, It's like, that's El, God of, of Israel. He was, he was El Shaddai. Like He led them through the wilderness through a climate like you couldn't survive, but he covered them with a cloud by day and with a burning pillar of fire that covered them overnight. They had a supernatural streetlight system that glowed over them at night that all their enemies could see if they want to try to come and hijack. It's like, yeah, you want to go in there with that big massive monster cloud is hanging over them? You know, their God opened up the Red Sea to get them out here and you want to go, you know what I'm saying? It was like they were covered. Not one of their soles of their shoes wore out while they were in the wilderness. You guys know these things, but I like talking about it. You know what I'm saying? They had manna raining down from heaven, Exodus 16, 16 says. Bread from heaven would rain down on a daily basis, Exodus 16, 16 says. And they would get to go eat the, the food of angels. So the wilderness was not the climate of the wilderness. The climate of heaven was on these people. And this is very much a prophetic picture of Christianity, Christians, people that follow God, even if it looks like they're in the middle of nothing. You know, they're living by a sustenance, by a supernatural means, by a reality that trumps the reality that it looks like that they are in. Yeah. We're called to live in the world, but not be of the world, right? Jesus said the salt of the world, you know? It's like, these things call us to live by a different attitude, nature, hope, you know, joy, no matter what the circumstance or situation we're in, because our reality is not dictated by the lesser reality of this realm. Now, Uncle John, John the Baptist, he epitomized 
this. John 1, I'm sorry, Mark 1. This is the beginning of the gospel. It's interesting how like John comes different from Mark. Mark ties Genesis, if you were here a couple weeks ago. Or John ties Genesis. Mark ties, ties John in the wilderness to the beginning of the gospel. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He, he quotes Malachi and he quotes Isaiah. And then it says of John in verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness. Try to think about this. Let's watch this like a movie. Let's think about this not as people that have understood what baptizing even means. This is a new thing. He comes, John comes, dunking people in water, baptizing people in the River Jordan on the way other side of the tracks, not close to the civilized areas. He came baptizing the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. It's like, what? It's like, think this is, this is, Jesus isn't there. We're not Christians. We're Jews at this point. We, we understand the legalism of our religion. We understand the high priest making atonement every year to cover our sins, the lamb. We understand Passover. This is the way we think in our religion. And now somebody, we haven't been to Sunday school. Somebody's dunking people in the Jordan River and telling them they can repent and turn from, they can have a mind change for the remission or the forgiveness of their sins. It's like, no, 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 that's not how this works, man. High priest steps into the temple, you know, he pours the blood, scapegoat gets sent off, you know what I'm saying? They understand these things. So John's doing things that are controversial, extremely controversial. And what right does he have to do them? I demand you tell me which they did. So he's, he's baptized people. It says, all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. All the people? This is like, he was drawing mass crowds. You know, it says when, when Herod was afraid to kill him after he arrested him, because he knew that the people esteemed John as a prophet. So John had some type of authority that all the people of the land said, He's, he's, the real, he's a real thing. We understand the 400 years of silence, right, coming into the New Testament. They haven't had prophets. There ain't none of those left until John shows up. All of Judea was coming out to him. Hmm. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair. What? And a belt of leather around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. It's the food that poor people ate in the region that he lived. He ate bugs, locusts, and honey that he would scoop out of trees and stuff. Wild honey, not in a jar. Imagine that. But he preached saying, there's one coming after me. This is his message. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's like, what? By the way, there's no such thing of Christianity... That is not spirit-filled Christianity. They're just not like, well, you know, this side and that. They're, no, it's not. There's just not. That's what this, if you, I've already spouted off. I won't do it again. Through a bunch of Old Testament prophets, the prophecies of the Holy Spirit and the, and the indwelling of God. We don't need to do this, especially not to you. You're all here. So, but John the Baptist knew things that it's like how, he's not just out there baptizing, not knowing what he was doing. 
He's like, I'm doing this, but it's because somebody's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Somebody, your life is going to be immersed into his life, and then his spirit's going to remain. It's going to stay with you forever. In Isaiah 58, 21, when it's like, you know, my words will be in your mouth from this time forevermore. In Jeremiah 31, 33, Exodus 36, 26, right? Those, those verses are about what's going to happen. And John was hip to it, and he understood it and knew it. And he proclaimed it. He, he, was, he was so much more dialed in than what people give him credit for. You know. But he was wearing... He, he had nothing to do with the kingdoms of this world. You know, he wasn't eating hummus with all of his buddies. He was eating locusts and honey, which they might have been good. I don't know. He didn't connect with the... You know, John's dad was a priest. Zechariah, that's, that's in Luke 1. Luke 1 starts with a lot of John. And his dad was a priest. And his mom was of the lineage of Aaron as well. So, so Zach, I mean, John was born in an, in an elite bloodline that he could have been in the religious system, dressed in the priestly garments, you know, groomed from a, with a position from since he was very young. But he didn't choose it. It's like, dude, you got a ticket to the front of the class. But it, it's not what he wanted. It's not what he was destined to be. You know, I'm going to back it up, but, uh, you know, if you look at Luke 1, Zechariah, lots fell to, to Zechariah for him. It was his turn to go burn the incense, his dad, who was the priest. And he was an old guy. And so Zechariah's wife, you know, she was barren. They didn't have kids. So Zechariah's in there doing his priestly duty. And if you read Luke 1, Gabriel comes standing in the corner over there and freaks him out. You know what I mean? It says that he, was, he saw him and he was troubled. That means he got super freaked out when he, he thought he was in there by himself and he got scared because there's something in there, somebody in there named Gabriel. And Gabriel like prophesies to Zechariah. You can read Luke 1 if you want or re-listen to this. But he, he prophesies to him and he literally says, like, you're going to have a kid even though you're old. Even though you know, Elizabeth Barron, like, you guys are going to have a kid. And he's going to have the Holy Spirit in him since he was born. Like he, he's one who is set apart. He's never to have any single alcoholic beverage. That's where, so you know, a lot of people believe this Nazarite vow, this Nazarite, the Nazarites were people that were set apart to the Lord from birth, like Samuel. He was never allowed to have a haircut on his head. He was never allowed to drink anything of, uh, that was fermented, you know, anything from grapes. You know, they were never allowed to even be in a graveyard or anything like that. They were just set apart from the Lord. And so this is what we hear about John. He doesn't say he's going to be a Nazarite, but from what Gabriel speaks about him, that's why a lot of scholars believe that he probably, let's just say he probably never had a haircut. It's possible that he did, but I don't think he did. But that's just my opinion, but it doesn't say, but that's kind of what, the way Gabriel talked to his dad, he was like, this one's set apart. It was like he was speaking the Nazarite over his life, right? Um, so anyhow, so Gabriel tells him that, to which Zach, I love this part. Zachariah's like, I'm old, man. Like, how do, how do I know that your words come to pass? It's like, dude, there's, a, there's an angel standing next to you in the temple telling you these things. And Gabriel, I love his reaction in Luke 1. He kind of looks at him and like, he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. <laughs> and I, he like takes his voice away from him. I was like, man, that's kind of savage, right? But he just said, like, okay, that's how you'll know. And so he comes, you know, Zechariah comes out of the temple and they're like, everyone's like, he probably looked like he's seen a ghost. 
an angel ghost, you know, whatever, uh, something, and, and he couldn't talk. You know, nine months later, his wife has John. And they say, what's his name going to be? And she said, his name is John. And, they're, and they like kind of discredited her. They're like, you can't call him that. None of your, that's none of your family. You got to get it. They're like, they're like, and then Zachariah's like, mm, you know. And it says he writes, I think it's Luke 1 or Luke 2 by then, but it's like, he writes, his name is John. And when he showed it to the people, then his mouth was opened because it was fulfilled. And that was his name. It was like his lineage had nothing to do with his lineage. His occupation also had nothing to do with his priestly lineage. You know what I mean? He shunned all those things. Or he didn't accept them. This is one major point in Christianity. Our lineage is not derived from our Adamic or Adam, like our actual natural lineage. We have come to know who our Father is and the fruit of His Spirit. Yeah. The inheritance of the kingdom of heaven is the sons and daughters, the kings and priests. It is Christians. It's us. That's great. Well, I just backtracked to Luke. But, um, so yeah, he, he goes and he preaches and he says somebody's coming with the Holy Spirit. I like in John as well, since I'm just talking to you folks and we're talking about the life and message of John the Baptist. He's coming saying things about baptism. It's like, oh, that's actually not... It's like a couple of Pharisees in the back raising their hands like, this actually isn't our religion. This isn't the way it works. You know, you bring your offerings, you know, we do the sacrifice. We handle that. God's given us a way. You're talk, telling people dunking and stuff. John 1, verse 21, they came to him. It says the, the, the priests and Levites from Jerusalem came to him. And they said, um, who are you? And he says, hey, I'm not the Christ. They said, what, what, what then? Are you Elijah? Because he's dressed like Elijah. He's wearing a camel skin outfit with a leather belt and probably had dreadlocks, that's my opinion. But, you know, he's, he looks kind of crazy out there. But the only description we have in the Bible of Elijah is that way. The only description we have of Elijah is, is somebody said, he's a hairy man and he's got a leather belt around his waist. That's one description we have of, of Elijah in the whole Bible. So he's coming back up and they're like, yeah, that... Are you Elijah? Have you come back? Are you a prophet? He's like, no, no, and no. They said to him, who are you that we may give an answer? And he said, I am. And he quotes Isaiah 40, the voice. I'm just a voice of one who's crying. In the wilderness, make way for the Lord. You know. He didn't come to the synagogue to the, to the hippest place he could possibly. He didn't try to fit in and be relevant in some way that he could impact people. He, he stayed true and pure to himself. He was not stained or tainted by anything in this world. Yeah. And the world wasn't worthy of him. Lisa says that in Hebrews 11. And he comes and he's just dishing it. Now the Pharisees, now those were sent with the Pharisees, and they asked him saying then, if you're not any of these people, why do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? Kind of like, what makes you think you're going to start a new version of what we've got going? On what authority? John says, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you don't know. 
It's he who is coming after me, who is preferred before me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You know, He's saying this, thousands of people are around. Why are you doing this? Because the one is here. The Messiah is right. The Messiah is here, y'all. That's why I'm doing it. This ain't about me. And you imagine the, 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 woo, the chill that that sent. It kind of sent it in here, but it's like, you kind of, there's a chill like, it's like, what? He's where, you know? Instantly, we start looking for who's the best looking, you know what I mean, person in this crowd, <laughs> you know what I mean, the biggest, maybe a little taller than everybody like Saul was when they first picked him, like, who's the, you know, who's the, where, you know what I mean, it's some regular guy nobody would notice, Jesus, you know, with no comely appearance walking around, you know what I mean, but it's like, what gives you the authority the authority that I have is this is a prophetic act of the one who's actually here. And his life is going to be, this baptism is not just like this, you know, this is, you are going to immerse yourself in him. Everything that is of Adam that you've inherited from the fall is going to be buried with him as he's buried. And when, he, when he's up, everything of you is going to come alive, your true identity, your true self. And it's even more, more beautiful than that. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, it's him. He's the one. Again, Jewish people know this stuff. Like, like okay, we're tracking the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. So that is Yom Kippur. That is the Day of Atonement. That's when we, you know, that's the scapegoat gets thrown out and the other one gets killed. The Lamb, the atonement for our sins, every year it happens and it covers us all. So you're dunking people and telling them they can, there's repentance and there's, there's forgiveness of sins from God somehow, um, but you still have in your mind this Jewish sacrificial system that we're having a problem with you about. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what's going on. Yeah. He's the lamb. He's the real one. And he doesn't take away the sin of the nation for a year. He takes away the sin of the entire world. It's like, there he is. Behold. We're the only, reli only religion, man. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, the only religion. As we see him without a veil over our face, we are transformed, it says, from glory to glory. The more we see him as, we, as he truly is, it changes us. The more we recognize what he's done for us. Well, that sounds too easy. I know. It's grace. And it's transformative. No, but I'm a sinner. No, that, that, that's not in here. Yeah. Mm -mm. It's not there. Good theology is rooted in the reality of who Jesus is. And John's message came with it, man. Romans 5, 18 and 19 says, Therefore, as though one man's, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in the condemnation of every soul, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Does that mean we are sinners? Or we became sinners? It's okay, I'm not that guy. It means that we became something we never were created to be. 
By one man's disobedience, many, the many, that's the way it really is, became sinners. So also by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Behold, that's the lamb. The lamb, you calling that guy a sheep? What does this mean? You know what I mean? He's the sacrificial one. He's come to appease the wrath of God on our behalf? What? No. That's not there, unless you take it out of context. What is he able to do? He's here to destroy the works of the devil and take the sin off of the people. Yeah. Uh, he comes to take away the sin of the world. You mean to condemn us? Like, no, 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 no. I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Spirit and fire. John's message. The very first announcement of Christianity. That's what it's going to be. Some people think the baptism of fire is a baptism. I believe it, it is, but there's many people that believe, and I think this is accurate as well. It's twofold, but I think this is, there's something really there. I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, the reality, the indwelling of God, and with fire. That fire is going to destroy all of the religious system. And it did. Every, every stone was destroyed in 70 AD. Every, every, not one rock was left upon another. Jesus said it would happen. You know what I mean? He, he dealt to, there was no more sacrifices. If you read Hebrews, if you read basically any New Testament book, <laughs> you know it's talking about this, man. It's like there's no longer any sacrifices. There's no longer a high priest year by year. There's no longer these things. Jesus has done something to set the entire world free. He is our hero in this faith. Yeah. It is no, you know, it is not, there's different models of atonement, right? Maybe you've heard of them. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the penal substitution, like he... He was our substitute on the cross, which is, is absolutely true. He was our substitute. But this, this thought that he was satisfying the wrath of God is so rooted in paganism. It is paganism itself. I mean, I've taken world religions class even before I was in, you know, studying theology. I mean, it's just like, that's pagan, pagan.com, paganism 101. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's what we do. We sacrifice, we kill people for the gods. You know what I mean? We make them happy. That's the way it works. That's Abraham and Isaac. Remember Isaac? Like, take, take your son, the son of promise, and put him on this altar and let's, uh, stab him and light him on fire to me. You know what I mean? But he doesn't go through with it, does he? Why? Because God was making a point. Like, no. Jireh. I'm the provider. There's a goat. You know what I mean? God was making a point like I'm not the pagan God. This isn't how this works. Hmm. The other model of atonement proclaimed by John, the greatest prophet of all time. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin. It's called the, the Christus Victor, they call it. It's like the victorious Christ. That's who we follow, you know. The model of the atonement that holds that on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. It wasn't Father, forgive them, the bipolar Godhead of like, you know, 
I want to save him, but he don't want to. So luckily, this is the yin-yang symbol of Eastern religion, and there's a good balance, so everybody just dodged a bullet, right? You know? James literally says in James 1 that in, in him there is no variance or shadow or turning. God is consistent, man. There's not sides to this, to this Godhead. There's not, there's not bipolar uh, uh, tension happening between what's the decision. You know, Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, it says in the book of Revelation. What does that mean? This thing was decided. His love for mankind was decided. Before, before we even popped out of the womb, y'all. This is the reality. The cross didn't achieve God's forgiveness. Right? It manifested God's forgiveness. The cross didn't, you know what I mean? Well, give me some, kill something, and then I'll forgive you. It's like, well, if forgiveness is the release of a debt, that sounds more like a payment or an interaction. Right? So the new covenant is, it's not a contract, y'all. It is a covenant. It is a vow between God and us. It is the love of God being poured out. It is, it is the proclamation of the Godhead on the cross. Forgive them, they don't actually know. They don't know. They don't even know who they are. They are acting as puppets from the poison of the fall, and the enemy is driving them to do this. But it says, if the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because it was his plan the whole entire time to redeem us all. Yeah. Jesus doesn't conceal the Father's wrath. He reveals the Father's love. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen what I'm about to go through, Philip, you'll know what God thinks about you. You know, you know Romans 1, the wrath of God released on all the ungodliness of men. It's like, yeah, on all the ungodliness, on every bit of darkness that was holding man back from who he truly was. Not the wrath of God poured out on ungod all you ungodly men, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cosmic bully. No. On all the ungodliness, every bit of the poison, he took it upon himself and he buried it for us all. Hmm. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus Christ manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 2, 14, since all of his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser, the devil himself, who holds against us the power of death. God's not bipolar. Did I say that already? 2 Corinthians 5.19 In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He wasn't half of his split personality trying to attack mankind. You know what I mean? For our sake, he made him sin to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is the point of this? Man, I'm just kind of talking. I don't have a point, but my main point is that, that Jesus is our hero. And he came in by stealth, y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he came in in order to put himself on the inside of us forever. Right? Isaiah 59 says. It's like, this, this, my words won't depart from your mouth from this time and forever, you know. All these scriptures. 
Behold the Lamb, the message of John the Baptist, the behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the victorious Christ, who's coming in as, a, 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 you know, some like little animal sheep that, look, that seems helpless and a victim, but it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, he's fooling them, y'all. He's coming as, as the, the lion, the champion is coming, and he's coming by stealth, and he's going to rescue everybody. And guess what had happened? And now we're here. You know. John, he did, you know, like I say, there's not a lot of stuff that he said. There's one thing that he said in John 3. He said he does not give his spirit by measure. So it's not, what are we waiting for? We need an outpouring of the spirit. That's a real charismatic thing. Like, we got to yearn. Let's have a worship night and yearn for an outpouring of the spirit. There's something more, you know. It's like, hey, listen. Cousin John said, he doesn't give the Spirit by measure. So Pentecost happened, and God has given us everything that we need for life and pertaining to life and godliness. Peter says the same thing, if you recognize that quote. It's like, there's something of this reality that God's done on our behalf, that the full thing is complete and done. You know. And John saw this. John shows up, you know, had nothing to do with the kings of this world. His sole focus was the kingdom of heaven. His food was that of the poorest of the land. He wore a camel hair, hair garment, which also was like an unclean animal in Jewish tradition. So it's like he was already, you know, rattling the, like, you know, I'm sure that, what kind of hair is that that you're wearing, buddy? You know what I mean? They're just trying to find what they can do against him, you know? Um, but, but another essence of who John was is he was himself. And that's another message of Christianity. See, every prophet, especially there, like a prophet's life is a message. You know, their actions, their life, their, everything about them, man. But one thing about John is he didn't live under the pressure of fitting in or pleasing people. Only the Lord. Can you imagine living in that level of freedom? Rhetorical, but... Can you imagine never being concerned about how you look? I'm not saying just dreadlock your hair and wear weird things. I'm not saying this. I'm saying if none of the thoughts and opinions of other people, if you didn't carry them because they're burdens, and you were free to be completely and totally who God called you to be. Imagine that. If every decision we made in our life was seeking first the kingdom, what's right to be righteous with, to be right with God. You know what I mean? To be, to be found in, in complete and total step in alignment with his plans and purposes, with knowing him, you know what I'm saying? With, with living him out in a way that touches other people with this message. Well, what's the, new, what's the revelation? What happened? What happened was nothing that I did, but I saw something. I saw him. I behold the lamb. I've been tra- my life is transformed because I'm starting to see who God is like. And he's not the bipolar monster. He's actually good. He's given me everything. You know. There's so many. I think I'll probably just close. But there's so many prophecies. Isaiah 25, 6, 7. There's so many ones that I would love to, to just flip through. But I know I'm just kind of like kind of nerding out. You know, like I'm like a Star Wars nerd up here. Like a Bible nerd. Just like, what about this one? This is a good one. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love all these things, man. And it's just like, I'm going to do one. Isaiah 51, 16. I've... <laughs> I have put my words, I've put my words in your mouth 
and I've covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens. What? It's like, I want to use you to reveal the reality of this covenant, to reveal my, my true creation, to plant heaven in the earth. I want my people in every sphere of life that they're in not to be afraid of how they're going to come across or you know, if they're going to be weird because they're sharing dreams and a guy standing in their room with a cut-off t-shirt, by the way. He's wearing a cut-off t-shirt. I didn't tell anybody that before. Yeah, I told a couple of y'all that. But that's what that guy was wearing. It's so weird. He's wearing a cut-off t-shirt. Back up, DT. Back up. But it's like that we, that we live in such a way that our life screams Jesus. It's like, I, yeah, I'm not who I once was, you know. That we're not in like, let's do apologetics, you know, let's, let's debate people. It's like, no, like always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you, man. Like what? Like, yeah, you should have to give an account for that. Why are you in such a good mood? Why are you so happy? Why are you so hopeful about the future? Because Jesus is victorious. And this is my theology. I said the T word, but it is. It's my belief. And God is good all the time. It's, it's never, there's no variance or shadow. And one day I'm going to step in, he's going to be this way. One day he might actually be this way. Like, no, that's the house we were raised in. And that's the house we're raising our kids in. If we view God this way. Because we are the images of God. And we reflect whatever we believe. Yeah, there's a reason. A lot of denominations and places that, that hold to some of these old doctrines of demons... Um, manifest themselves as very judgmental. They're known for being critical and rude and mean, even at restaurants and things. It's just like, oh, you know what I mean? There's a reason, and, and I, I don't want to say it's their fault because it's like, it's like, man, the way we see God is the way we portray God to the world, and we're always portraying Him because we're created in His image. So even when we're not trying to, oh, i got a witness, it's just like, no, just be what you are, the image of God, and manifest the fruit of His Spirit that's on the inside, and you won't have to preach to anyone. Maybe take my job. And I'll get those ACs cranked up at the right, at the right time of the day. You know, the grass like I do. Yeah, yeah. I think it might be. Anyway, see them lines out there. I'm good at it. All right, Lord. Yeah. We thank you for this day. I thank you that you are the you are the victorious one. And you have, past tense, taken away the sin of the world. And we still have this free will to choose to follow you into the reality of this covenant. That we would be the ones, I ask those of this house and, and those who listen to these messages, we would be the ones to arise and shine with the manifest, the light of who you are. That every bit of our old identity that we've ex all of our experiences all the negativity that's caused us to put our identity together in a way that doesn't reflect you in a way to be safe insecurities fears whatever those things are i ask that we would have the courage that john had but in this side of the covenant knowing you in such a profound way that people see you that people were impacted by you, that the power of heaven would touch the earth, and that, that the words of our mouths would be your words, and we would plant and establish heaven over and trump this reality. Amen. All right.